we are excited this morning to conclude our series entitled Summer Stories. We've been in this, uh, this series for the last several weeks, embracing God's desire to be in relationship with us. And we've been encouraged by stories of God's protection and freedom, and, and today we, we will embrace God, how God is continuing to write his story in, in your life and in mine, and that he's faithful in our lives even in the, the, the times that we don't always sense his presence. You know, do you, do you have anybody in your life that you call or text on a fairly regular basis and they just don't get back to you in a timely manner? Anybody like that? You text them and, and then, you know, a day or two days or a week or maybe a month later, maybe six months later, they're like, hey, I got your text. Yeah, I texted my buddy the other day, a kid I grew up with, in Salem, we went to high school together, and I was up there on Friday, and I said, hey, man, I'm in town. Love to drop in and say a quick hey if you're available. So he texted me back yesterday, and he says, yeah, come on by. <laughs> well, I'm not in Salem now. It was yesterday. But it's, it's tough. There's those, those people in life that you reach out to, and they just don't ever get back to you. You kind of feel like, well, am I not important? Do you not care? You know how you not know how to use your thumbs. I mean, you know, you get it. But sometimes we struggle. And trusting God when he seems silent in the midst of troubles can require the same honest journey of, of, of faith and trust. Because sometimes it feels like God isn't present when we face hardship in life. You know, I believe the stories that God is is writing in your life and in mine are have the ability really truly to, to encourage uh, not only us, but the people that we come in contact with. That our stories can point people to Jesus. And we've been blessed to hear from Ken Houston and Greg and Eve Dufour over the last couple weeks and been encouraged by their stories. And we really felt like we shouldn't be asking and challenging you to share your stories with people if we're not willing to share our own. And so I'd like to uh, invite my wife Gretchen of 23 years, my beautiful wife, to the platform. As we, we have a desire to share a little bit of our story uh, because it's not always been so glamorous. I mean, you know, we just, we're just everybody's dream couple. Anyways, <laughs> but we've, we've walked through our fair share of, of, of challenges and hardships over the years, and, and uh, there's been moments. Uh, where we found ourselves questioning, God, where are you in this season? What are, what are you doing? Why are we having to navigate through this stuff? And so we wanted to share a little bit of our upbringings and our testimony and then um, share a little bit of our story and, and our hope and our prayers that it, it might encourage you. Uh, but Kay, why don't you kind of... Sure. I'll, I'll do my best. Um, so I grew up in a small town in California named Susanville, and um, it was near Reno, it's where we did our major shopping, um, and grew up with mom, dad, and brother, older brother, and um, we went to church, my mom uh, took us to church, my dad actually grew up in a church environment as well, but he didn't uh, receive Christ into his life until he was about 33, and so, um, but I grew up as a Christian, my mom played the piano, and then eventually we all sang in the choir, and um, it was really delightful, it was wonderful, it was kind of the, it was just a, a great 
upbringing. Um, when I hit my senior year, my brother was in the Air Force at that time, and um, we got a call, and they said, you need to come, you know, come, he was in New Mexico, so you need to come to New Mexico. There was an accident, and he ended up uh, being brain dead when we arrived, and so um, we had to, uh, we had to let my brother go, and so um, the kind of crazy thing is in December of that same year, um, my senior year, uh, my grandmother died. January, my brother died. And then I had three friends uh, through high school consecutive. It was like every two weeks, there was another death. And so for a little while, I felt like whoever knew me, whoever talked to me would eventually die. I, I truly believed that um, it, was a, it was a terrible part of my life. Um, through that time, I ended up moving and living with my coach and his family, um, and that would have been um, this just second semester, probably February or so, uh, before I was 18, had to be emancipated. Um, through that whole time, I remember I took my Bible. Um, that was one of the things at my coach's house. I had, you know, a couple outfits, my cleats, my glove, and my Bible. And um, so I loved God through that time. It was it was challenging. It was lonely. Um, but I loved him. Um, and kind of some of the background as well is I had played in a travel league as a softball player. And so um, when I was about 12, so that was probably, I was thinking it had to have been like the first travel leagues of time, right? Like it was like travel leagues and then we got cell phones like a year later or something. <laughs> um, anyways, it, it felt like a long time ago um, that, that that had started. But um, so I would go with my family from 12 years old on um, to 18 or so, um, and I would travel and I'd go, it was 86 miles one way uh, to go from Susanville to Reno. My dad would typically drive me maybe Tuesday, Thursday, and then we'd have Saturdays and Sundays. We would um, be elsewhere in the state. So sometimes Sacramento, sometimes um, down further south. So it just depended. Um, but through that time, again, you know, we, we listened to a lot of radio and there was a lot of focus on the family. Um, there was a lot of really fabulous family time uh, that I got. So I, I missed church a lot, but I felt like that time with my family was so important and it really built a great relationship moving forward. Yeah, my story wasn't, wasn't all that dissimilar to, to Gretchen's. We grew up in a, in a Christian home. Uh, my, both of my, my parents were uh, raised Catholic and uh, at early, you know, early adulthood, they both uh, stepped into a relationship with Jesus and we, uh, I grew up my first few years in, in Northern California. We lived in the Bay Area. And um, I was born in Livermore, California, and, and grew up in Pleasanton until I was five. And my dad was a banker gone pastor. And uh, if, those, if you can combine those two worlds. Um, and we were involved in a church in, in California until the Lord called us to Oregon. Uh, where my dad was going to become the president of an organization called Church Extension Plan that's still based out of Salem um, that combined church lending and uh, growth to uh, the financial aspects of, of the church. And so he was a perfect mix for that. And uh, so we came up in 1982, started attending uh, Salem People's Church, and everything was great. We were your prototypical Christian family. We fought like cats and dogs all the way up until we drove up to church and the door opened. And then we all got these little smiles on our face, and we're like, hello, bless you. 
Lord bless you. Isn't it a wonderful day in the house of the Lord? We knew all the, the right things to say. I was one of four boys. And uh, so you can imagine in the Clements house, things were a little bit crazy at times. Uh, but we understood what it meant to be a Christian, what it meant to be a follower of Jesus. And we exercised those things, if in no other way, just exercising them. And so for many years, my faith was wrapped up in just doing the right things and saying the right things and in Sunday school reciting the right verses and you know, I received Jesus as my personal Savior when I was four years old in the driveway of our, of our Northern California home. I can remember it was raining. We were sitting in the station wagon. I said the sinner's prayer with my mom. Um, but I didn't really understand what it meant to have a relationship with Jesus. I was just doing what I thought that I was supposed to be doing. And then at the age of 13, I um, had an encounter with God at a, at a summer camp and, and felt a, a strong calling of the Lord to ministry. And of course, when you're 13, that means you're going to be a youth pastor. And so I was excited to be a youth pastor and, and began pursuing that until I had a crisis of faith. And, and when I was about 18, 19 years old, after my freshman year of, of college and, and doubted my calling and doubted everything, and kind of ran from that and went into business and got a degree and then spent my, my adult years in, in business uh, before God began drawing us back to his, his true calling for our lives. And in 2005, we had grown kind of weary of doing all the business stuff and began pursuing ministry and had the, the privilege and the opportunity to step into vocational ministry in 2005. Came back to Oregon, um, went on staff at a very large church in our state, and everything was exciting and everything was coming together and we were excited to be following God's plan and purpose for our lives, only to discover it was not going to be easy. Um, and we found ourselves in, in, a, in a very challenging season. So this season was one of the worst, I think, for me um, up to date. And so um, Dan was gone serving in church at least six days a week. Um, and we were expected to be at multiple services to look a certain way. Um, and I remember, uh, well, a few different moments, but um, we were there long enough. And this was my first church experience being, up, being uh, on this end of a church. And... Um, and so I had these really wonderful high hopes. And um, when we came to from Southern California up to Salem, um, I remember sitting in the at the kitchen table in California with my mom. And my mom said, you know, because I said, Mom, we're going to be like really not making very much money. And like really not. And she said, oh, you know, the Lord's going to provide. And I thought, okay, okay, okay. You know, yes, I'm sure he'll provide. So when we arrived and... We were probably in a couple of years, and um, it was it it was looking at it now. Uh, I get a little bit fired up because I feel it was disgusting what what we were paid for what we did, and it wasn't right um, because just because you work in a church doesn't mean that you should starve to death. So um, I was in the breadline for our family at one point, our church's breadline. And so the pastor had come up and said, oh, hey, not the pastor, one of the pastors. And I said, hey, you know, let's not make it look a certain way. So if you can, you know, if you need food, just let me know. And we'll, we'll kind of do this little side hustle. And I thought, this is weird and wrong. Um, I shouldn't be in line in the first place. Um, one of the other big parts to that season was um, 
Leah was little um, and I remember it was it happened to be a Sunday morning and I was getting her ready and I was like getting her clothes on she was laying maybe like two years old three um, and so she's laying there she had a really red cheek and then all of a sudden this goop was like coming out of her ear and so she had an ear infection that had erupted and and I just remember going like I need to take my kids to the doctor and I can't even pay for that like that was our life of serving the Lord and it was um, it was really awful and really hard. Yeah, it was a it was a it was a challenging season for so many different reasons, um, because you know when you when you read scripture and you and you embrace what it means to follow God's call in your life, everything's going to work out and it's all going to be great. It's going to be, you know, daisies and and flowers and you know everything's going to be awesome. And it wasn't. And we found ourselves in this, this season of struggle. And no matter how hard we worked, it seemed like we, we, we never could get to the place where we felt like we were going to be okay. And I can remember the, the season of time where as a, as, a, as a husband and a father, you know, the, the greatest desire I think that we have as men is to, is to provide for our families, to be the provider, to be the protector. And I wasn't. And it was, it was humbling, and it was humiliating, and it was, it was difficult. And I can remember the, uh, the day that, and I've shared this story, I think, once, once before, but I can remember the day that I, I went out of the house to go to work, to go to the church in the morning, and our, and our van was gone. And I ran inside, and I'm like, babe, I, somebody stole our van. And I, we were freaking out, and we were, we were, you know, trying to figure out what to do next. Okay, do we call the cops? What's going on? And I started processing, I'm like, wait a second, how many, how many payments behind were we? And we began to discover that our family van had been repossessed. And here we are doing the Lord's work, and things are just falling apart. And it was one of the lowest moments where you just go, God, what is going on? This is not how it's supposed to be. And we struggled through that, that season asking a lot of questions, wondering where God was in the midst of all this, feeling like we're, you know, we're, doing, we're doing the thing for Jesus. And uh, we had to really trust God in, in those moments, but at the same time questioning where he was. And then God provided an, an, an incredible opportunity for us to come down to serve this church in 2010 as the associate pastors alongside of Pastor Kelly and Trisha DeFore. And it was an amazing season of healing for us where we saw a very healthy um, a very, very healthy community, a community that loved us, that, that desired to provide and, and bless us. And so we saw this amazing season of God's uh, love and his provision. Um, and then, as the Lord would have it, after uh, about six years, he called us to Portland, to southwest Portland. <laughs> and uh, I'm going to be honest, we weren't excited. Um, we loved this church. We loved this church. And it was, it was like Velcro ripping for us, tearing away to know that God was calling us somewhere else. Um, but we wanted to be here with the people that we loved. And so we followed that call to, to Southwest Portland, to another church, another large church, um, and found ourselves in another season of struggle uh, where we had just gotten to a place where we felt like we were on a solid foundation only to have the rug pulled out from under us. You know, Southwest Portland is a very expensive place to live, and, and we went up there and took a, took a pay cut. Gretchen had begun teaching, and, and, uh, and when we went up there, took a pay cut, 
Um, and so we found ourselves again in this, this season of, of struggle. Like a large pay cut, <laughs> like large, like $20,000 large. And so our expenses didn't change. They actually increased. And so we were now looking at, um, you know, we're going to send our kids to a private school. We kind of waffled between that because we knew we needed to send one for sure, but we had three that needed to go. And that was going to be over $1,000 a month. Um, and then we had a, you know, our discount, which got us to about $1,000 a month. So for school. And um, we were really challenged during that time. Um, there was a point when we first had moved there, and um, I we thankfully got into a house that um, was like one of the few houses available in Sherwood, and um, it was at that moment when um, we had made the decision that our kids were going to go to school. We didn't have the money for it. We didn't have the money still for a lot of different things, and but we still kind of had to do them, if that makes sense. Like, our kids still have to do this school thing, and um, Elijah was swimming at that time, so, you know, he kind of has to do that thing because we want him to be successful. And um, and so all these things that we're, we were doing, we felt that we needed to do. But um, there was a moment when I, I really had a breaking point because, um, like Dan said, I had gotten into teaching, and when we were in Salem, um, my dad was living us, with us for a little bit, and I said, Dad, you know, like, I, my husband's, I didn't tell him this, but this is what I felt. My husband's not providing for me, so I got to go provide for myself because I don't know how long this is going to last. And so it was, it was that rough. And so that's when I had gotten my teaching license license, excuse me. So when we had moved um, up to Sherwood, Tualatin, Tigard, and all that, um, and I went in back into a private school setting, um, it, and then the challenges of, you know, affording our kids to go there, um, I had a moment, a, a real breaking point, because I was so exhausted. I was so tired of doing the right thing, doing what God's asking me to do, and feeling like he wasn't showing up on my behalf, and we were struggling and struggling and struggling. Um, I felt suicidal at one point um, where I truly did not have any hope, and this is, I had been through enough in my life and had weathered plenty of storms and I thought man like I'm getting to this point where I'm kind of going is there really a God like I've said I serve this God for my whole life but is there really a God because he's not showing up for me and I just don't know about this and so um Dan had there was you know again the he took the kids away to this family function and I I knew at that point like I was in some serious uh serious way because um I didn't want to go. I didn't want to be a part. And I was really not wanting God in my life at that point. And here we are. We're serving at a church. Um, and I had a major, major inner battle. And a lot of my problem was based in we. Uh, our heart is to serve and to love. Like Dan and I both love that. But I felt like the churches we were at were taking advantage of us and were um, not supporting us in being able to serve and love in the way that I believe God was calling us to. And so I really started having something kind of fester in me that was ugly um, and really a, a disbelief in the Christian church being able to be generous and being able to take care of, of 
their people and and you know yeah we got to also take care of the people outside of the walls but you also need to take care of the people in inside the walls too because they're crying out for some stuff as well and so um that was definitely one of the the low points i didn't say this in the last service but after getting through like i feel like i've reached the promised land when we pulled our little truck here back in albany because i felt just like the windows of heaven had opened and i was able then to look back at the hard parts in life and go, ah, okay, God was creating this in this moment. He was helping in this moment. He was shaping me and shaping Dan. So I, I didn't get to say that, you know, we're, we're I've come around, <laughs> I'm doing okay. Um, but in that time, it was, it was terrible and awful and, and um, there wasn't really anybody there for us. Yeah, it was a challenging season when we, when we felt like, God, are we, are we doing what what you've called us to do and we knew in our hearts that we were um, and yet we we continued to, to deal with roadblocks and and it was truly a gift when we had the privilege to come to come back to Albany to a, a place that we we really call home uh, to come back to a church that we love and it was not an escape for us because God had brought us through this season and we had seen the growth and we were embracing um, the good things with the bad um, and there was so much that God had done uh, for us in that season and through us. Um, but it was definitely one of those things where when God opened a door of opportunity, we thought, could this, could this really be happening? You know, it was probably like the nation of Israel as they began to embrace coming into the promised land where it's like, could this really be where God has for us to be? And so coming back here was such an incredible blessing. But we, we, we wanted to share that it's, it's not always been easy. In fact, it's been very challenging. And, and many times we tend to think in the church that we've all got it together and that we have to, we have to put on those smiley faces when we come in the door because after all, these people got it, got it together. They're not struggling like I am. And it's just not, it's not the truth. God is working and moving and growing and stretching in every one of us and it looks different and unique but similar in every situation. And the, the greatest place that we can find strength and, and encouragement and hope is in the body of Christ. Because every one of us has a unique story that God is, 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 is moving in. And so our hope and our prayer is that you are somehow encouraged by our, our, our story, understanding that it's maybe not too dissimilar to yours, um, and that every one of us, God is writing our story, and he's continuing to write his story in our lives, and we're thankful for that, and uh, we are, we're grateful to be able to share a little bit of that story with you today. So thank you, thank you, babe, for, for sharing. You know, it's, it's difficult because when we think about our stories, there are, there are moments and there's, there's seasons of our stories that we're proud of, and then there's those other parts, and it tends to be those other parts that we don't ever want to share. We don't ever want to let see the light of day, and truly, the greatest gift that you can give to someone is the story of your struggle, because nobody wants to hang out with, with a perfect person when they feel that they're not. And so embracing our struggles, understanding that Jesus himself faced struggles, faced hardship, faced death. And yet his story was being written 
not too dissimilar to ours. And so as we embrace this, this journey of faith that we're called to in following Jesus, we have to understand how to navigate those seasons where, if it, where it's difficult to sense God's power and his presence at work in our lives. Today, our, our, our text is found in Psalm chapter 13. And it gives us a look into a window into David's journey of trust in God in the midst of his struggles. David was one of the most incredible um, people, personalities that we see in Scripture. David was this amazing young man who was a sh- shepherd who, you know, came and, and God used him powerfully and mightily to, to win the, you know, the steel cage death match against Goliath when he, you know, took Goliath down and, 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 and took care of him. We see David come into his, his, his kingship. We see him used mighty by God. Scripture tells us that David was a man after God's own heart. And yet, David faced some of the most incredible struggles throughout seasons and stages of his life. And in the midst of that, he had to embrace, was God still with him or had he left him? And so today I want to read this passage of Scripture because I think it's a very eye-opening look into David's journey and gives us some very tangible tools and how it is that we're called to follow Jesus. So Psalm chapter 13, starting in verse 1. I want to do something a little bit different today. The, the words are up on the, the, the uh, screen, and they, they're also available in the Version Bible app. But if you have your Bibles, um, you can read along. But I'd like us all to read together. And so starting in chapter 13, verse 1, you can read with us at home. Let's say this together. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me how long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart how long will my enemy triumph over me look on me and answer Lord my God give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death and my enemy will say I have overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall but I trust in your unfailing love my heart rejoices in your salvation I will sing the Lord's praise, for he has been good to me. Would you pray with me this morning? God, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your faithfulness. That even in the midst of struggle, God, you are with us. And so we, we press into your promises today, God. No matter where we find ourselves, we ask, God, that you would walk with us, that you'd lead us, that you would guide us, that you would show us your faithfulness, even when we don't see or sense it. God, we ask that you would speak to our hearts today and that you would speak to us through your word. Father, we're thankful for your love and we thank you that you love us always without fail. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, I love this passage of Scripture because it is one of the most vulnerable passages that we see from David. We see this throughout the Psalms, Psalms 42, several other places in Scripture where we see David crying out to God in desperation. Most scholars believe that this particular passage of Scripture, this psalm is recorded when David is being pursued by Saul, by King Saul. He's, he's been anointed king by the, the prophet Samuel, and yet Saul is out to get him. Saul is out to end him. He's literally trying to kill him. And David finds himself in this place of desperation. Most people believe that David was, was quite literally depressed and overcome with anxiety on a daily basis. 
so he's not in a good place. <laughs> Maybe we can relate. But David gives us a great recipe for how to navigate our journey of faith in following Jesus, specifically in the times when we don't feel or sense God's presence. Those times when we feel alone. But we're called to, called to embrace God in those moments. And I think David will help us. We're going to explore David's three different postures of, of prayer in this particular passage of Scripture in his situation. The first one being confession. The second one being supplication. And the third one being adoration. They're all shun words. Eh? I made them easy for you so that you can, keep, you can remember, remember them. Confession, supplication, and adoration. So let's look at the first one. Confession. God is not offended by honest responses to the difficulties of life. Do you realize that? God is not offended by your doubt. He's not offended when you question his plans and purposes. He doesn't get his feelings hurt when you say, where are you, God? He understands that we are human. He understands that we face adversity and struggle. We call this confession because here David is being brutally honest with God. He's calling out to him in desperation. And it's not some flowery kind of like, Oh Lord, oh Lord, thouest that has not let me down. Where are you? What are you doing? It's not this nicey-nice prayer. He's calling out in desperation. David is coming to God aware of where he's at. Instead of trying to hide his emotion, he, instead of pretending that his heart is somewhere it's not, he just owns it. <laughs> he basically says, okay, Father, here's where I am. And then he has five questions for God. And they're not real nice, kind, respectful questions. Let's look at them. And he hits them one right after another. Psalm 13, starting in verse 1. How long, Lord? Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? You ever been there? God, what is going on? You said you would be with me. You said you would never leave me. You said you would never forsake me. How long will I have to endure this? Even Jesus in his most vulnerable moment while he's hanging on the cross says, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? See, God is not offended by our confession when we are struggling, when we're hurting, when we're doubting. Let's look at David's three questions. First, he says, how long, Lord? How long? How long do I have to deal with this? How long do I have to deal with this? The second question, will you forget me forever? That's not like I feel like, God, you're distant from me, and I don't really know where you're at in this moment. How long will you forget me? Will you forget me forever? That is David's desperation cry. You've forgotten me. You've left me on my own. And the third question, how long will you hide your face from me? Now he's almost kind of getting personal. God, you've just hidden your face from me. You've turned your back on me. 
How long will you, will you stay in that place? Now, these are questions that David's asking, but are they really questions? I mean, truly. When we question God, when we ask God these kinds of questions, are we really asking questions? Because I would, I would contend that our questions are more like a prop. <laughs> See, David's using these questions to, to lament his felt absence of God. He's, he's in, in, in desperation. He's, he's struggling. He's depressed. He's anxious. He's, he's overwhelmed with fear. And he's using these questions to package that up into a nice little gift to give to God. And that's why the intensity grows a little more with each line, with each question. First, it's how long. Simply stated, I don't, I don't like this. I wish things were different. I don't want to be where I'm at. How much longer do I have to deal with this? Because I don't know how much longer I can hang on. There were moments where Gretchen and I felt that. God, I don't, I don't know how much longer we can do this. You, you brought us here. You called us here. What, what? How long? And that level of confession is one that I think we can all relate to, particularly right now. We don't like what's going on in our city, in our country, in our world. We, we see social and political unrest at every turn, people arguing and, and debating and, and, and ceasing to have fellowship together. We see just horrible things happening in our world. We've struggled with the impacts of the pandemic, the economic downturn, the inflation that seems to be at every, every, every time we turn. Isn't that crazy that we're like celebrating when, when gas drops below five bucks? It's like, yeah, yeah, you see, it's like 485. I'm going to go across town and get it there. So how long God, how, how long do we have to do this? How long do we have to put up with this? It's an honest question. We, we see the hurt. We see the confusion. We see the, the hopelessness that exists in the world. And we say, how long? But see, then David's next question goes from the sense of absence to now reckoning with his isolation, feeling like he's alone. He says, how long must I wrestle with my thoughts? In other words, David is having to ask himself for advice. How long do I have to wrestle with my thoughts? He's talking to himself. He's, he's deliberating with himself. He's sorting through things with himself because he's by himself. And maybe you found yourself in that moment where you just feel like, I'm, I'm so alone right now. I'm so by myself. Nobody understands what I'm going through. Nobody gets what I'm having to do, deal with. How long do I have to endure this? And David's heart was sorrowful. He was grieving. He was overwhelmed. It was like it was cold and cloudy every day. It was like a, you know organ fall in winter, and you're just like, <laughs> okay, what's the weather going to be like? Oh, it's going to be cloudy and gray again. And that was his emotional forecast. It wasn't changing, and tomorrow didn't look any better. And then in verse 2, David's last question, it kind of signals a little bit of a transition. He says, how long will my enemy triumph over me? See, the enemies of David were exploiting him at every turn. And David feels that God has checked out and just completely left him alone. He's uninvolved. 
And that, in David's view, counted as a point for the bad guys. Oh, the bad guys are winning again. Chalk one up to the bad guys. And he's struggling. See, at first, the posture of prayer, this, 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 this posture of, of confession is where we find David. He's being honest with God about where he's at. He's, he's lamenting the felt absence of God. He's Lament, that word means passionate expression or, of pain or grief. And that's where he finds himself. And the reality is there will be times we will find ourselves in the same place of desperation. The same place that, that David experienced. And, and a healthy and honest prayer of confession to God is something he understands. He understands when you say, how long, God? What are you, what are you doing? Where are you? Why is everybody against me? He understands that confession. It's okay to come to God with that type of prayer, but we can't stay there. See, David's second posture of prayer was supplication. God desires that we would bring our troubles to him in vulnerable prayers of faith and trust. It's okay to be vulnerable in your prayer life, but we should come with faith and trust in the God that we know is sitting on the throne and who is with us and for us. See, we have a choice in how we respond to the circumstances of life, the loss, the heartbreak, the the grief, the hurt, the struggle that we endure. And God doesn't believe that when we face adversity, we should just plod along giving it our best effort. You know, I'm just going to pull myself up by my bootstraps and I'm just going to keep on keeping on and insert whatever one-line cliche you want to there. That's not God's expectation of us. His hope and his desire is that we would ultimately place our faith and our trust in him. That we would see him as God. See, this, this, this word supplication, it's a, it's a good old Bible word. It's not one that you probably use in, in sentences on a daily basis. You walk in and be like, oh, the Lord's wonderful supplication. And you say it like that in your best radio announcer voice. But it's, a, it's, a, it's an old word, Bible word. It means to make a request. It means we're asking God for something. And he's okay when we come to him with our supplication. See, in verses 1 and 2, David is honest about the absence of God he feels. But then in verse 3, he pleads with God to intervene. David wants God to answer him. This is what he says. Read, read Psalm 13, 3. Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death and my enemy will say, I've overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. He is desperate. He's calling out to God. It's not like, oh, Lord, are you there? <laughs> Please help. No, he's demanding an answer. Look on me and answer, Lord my God. It's not like a little friendly, you with me? He's demanding an answer. And this first phrase that that David uses in verse 3 is an interesting one. The English Standard Version translation Bible gives a very literal translation of, of, of what the Hebrew was. David says, light up or that we may enlighten. And then it simply says, my eyes. Enlighten my eyes. 
light up my eyes. That's what the ESV says. In other words, David needs God's help to see him rightly. He's not seeing God rightly, which means that David has enough presence of mind to know that he's currently not seeing things through the right lens. Have you ever been there? Where you're in the midst of the struggle, everything's going on, you're, you're saying, God, what is happening? But you know what you've read in Scripture. God, you're with me. God, you're for me. You're for me, not against me. You know, but you're not thinking rightly. Do we have the, the presence of mind to know when we're not seeing the situations of life through God's lens? Charles Spurgeon has a, a, a great comment. He, he says that David is praying, let the eye of my faith be clear so that I may see God in the dark. Let the eye of my faith be clear so that I may see God in the dark. Maybe you find yourself overwhelmed with darkness. You feel like you're walking through an endless tunnel. And there's struggles and there's dangers and there's difficulties and you're, and you're stumbling and you're tripping over the things of life. I love this, this picture that Spurgeon paints because it's, it's still dark in David's life. Nothing's changed for David yet. He's still in the battle. He's still in the struggle. He's still in a place that he'd rather not be. He, he, the question of how long is still echoing from verse 1. But that doesn't mean that God isn't there. God is there. That's, that's precisely why David is still talking to him. He, didn't be, he wasn't like, God, where are you? Why have you left me? Man, this really stinks. And he walks off. No, he's still talking to God. He's still addressing him. But we, we tend to fall prey to the power of our emotions sometimes in the midst of uncertainty and struggle. We, we get anxious. We, we find ourselves wrapped up and overwhelmed, and, and, we, and we just want to give up. But this is where David is, is, is getting beneath his emotions. He's, he's beginning to go deep with God as he brings this supplication. God, it feels like you're absent, but I know you're present. I know it. God, help me. Make me see. Give me perspective. Light up my eyes. See, when we really, truly bring our vulnerable, vulnerable prayers to God, it has a way of changing our perspective. When we find ourselves in the midst of struggle and we attune our heart to what God is doing and saying and, 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 and moving in our lives, it changes the way we see things. It doesn't mean it's gone. But we have to place our focus back on what God is doing, what he's saying. To perhaps begin to see and sense what God may be doing in the darkness of the moment or season that we're walking through. So we've got to understand the power of confession, the power of supplication, and then finally, the power of the prayer of adoration. It's a reestablishing of our trust in God that, that keeps our focus on His story being written in our lives. See, your, your story's not completed. It's not finished. Mine isn't either. God is moving and He's, and he's growing us and He's stretching us. And then every moment... 
is a growth process, and growing is hard. It hurts. It's painful sometimes. Let's look at this, Psalm 13, 5. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise, for he has been good to me. What an amazing like, like transformation of, of, of prayer. And it's, it's pretty simple to see what, what David is doing here. He goes from lamenting God's felt absence, you're, you're not here, you're not with me, where are you? How long do I have to deal with this? To, to petitioning God to intervene. God, deliver me. Help me. Fix this. To now declaring his trust in God's steadfast and unchanging love it's an amazing picture and amazingly david does it in just five verses we don't know how long this situation was unfolding but it isn't incredible this journey of faith this journey of trust this journey of prayer that david is on and perhaps we can relate to what he's going through see it's easy to see the movement of where David starts and where he ends up. It's, but it's easier said than done to allow this sort of movement to happen in our hearts because when things are not going well, our typical prayer is not, I trust your unfailing love. You're amazing, God. See, David has just spent four verses saying that his world is basically falling apart. It's coming apart at the seams. And now all of a sudden he's singing praise and worship. He's saying that he trusts the God who he felt like forgot him four verses ago. And this can only make sense when we understand the direction that David has been going the whole time. It wasn't like, oh, boom, something happened and now all of a sudden everything's great. David's posture has been one that has been consistent the entire time. He starts with his felt reality, his feelings, his emotions, but he's had no intention of staying there. He starts on the surface and then he moves to the depths of what it means to follow God, to walk with him daily. And his felt reality gives way to ultimate reality, and that is who God is and what he's done. Have you ever been in a moment where you're so desperate that the only thing you can do is just begin to pull back and start to remember the good things that God has done? God, thank you for giving me breath in my lungs. Thank you for health. Thank you for the health of my children and my family. Thank you for, thank you for allowing me a job. Thank you for giving me an opportunity to be in a relationship. Thank you for a church community who loves me and cares for me. See, God is Yahweh. In Scripture, God is Yahweh. It's the most sacred Hebrew name of God. They would write it instead of saying it because God's name was so sacred. And He is still God. He's the God of, of steadfast love. He's the God who created all things and sustains all things. He created you and He created me and He has a plan 
and a purpose for each and every one of us. And he's the God who made himself known to the nation of Israel through a promise backed by his character when he made a promise to Abraham that he would be the father of many nations. He's the God of salvation, of rescue, of making a way when there is no way. He's that God. So David says, I trust you, God. I'm banking on your love, which means I'm rejoicing in your salvation. Even though this situation is bleak, I'm trusting you. See, David's faith in God is his joy in God. He's his source. He's his strength. He's his peace. He's his hope. And then in, in, this, in this expression comes singing. When in verse 6 he says, I will sing the Lord's praise for he has been good to me. How do we come into church when everything's been falling around and sing worship songs? It's because we're willing to reposture our hearts. Say, God, I know all this stuff's falling apart. I know there's, there's adversity on every side, but I trust you. I believe you are who you say you are, and I want to sing praise to you because you're my source of strength. See, our expression of faith and adoration to God should be in direct response to his love and his plan for our lives because he loves us. He sent his son for us. Because of God's great grace and love, we've been united to Jesus through our confession of faith and belief. When we step into relationship with Jesus, everything changes. We can find hope in the midst of hopelessness. We can find strength when we're weak. We can find joy when everything around us is falling apart. It doesn't mean that we're always going to be like, woo! But it does mean in the midst of those moments when we feel most vulnerable, we can say, God, it doesn't feel like you're here, but I know you are. I know you're walking with me. And the beauty is that in Jesus, we've received everything that we need in life. Jesus has given us himself, and through him, we're united to God through the Holy Spirit who dwells inside of each and every one of us when we step into that relationship. And when we choose to follow Jesus with our whole heart and repent, we receive forgiveness, we receive salvation, we receive righteousness, and the promise of eternal life. It's, it's an incredible thing. And David is embracing those things. And all of those things pave the way to hope and wisdom and endurance in life in the midst of struggle and a freedom and a nearness to one another in the church community. We have Jesus and all his benefits, and that is the depths of God's perfect and steadfast love. Would you stand with me this morning as we prepare to close? God, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your assurance. We thank you that you are with us no matter what we face in life and that you are continuing to walk with us. Whether we find ourselves in the midst of struggle or hurting or whatever the case may be, God, we thank you that you are walking with us, Lord, that you are holding us up, that you are strengthening us with your strong right hand. And so this morning, we confess our need of you. We confess our need of your strength and your power. We understand, Lord, that you are okay when we come with a prayer of confession, confessing our need of you, confessing our, our doubt, our struggles, our, our vulnerabilities. 
but that as we navigate that, that we would bring our requests, our petitions, our supplications to you, knowing that you hear us, knowing that you receive them. And that we, we begin to see and sense your power and your presence bring our focus back into your focus. We can have a posture of adoration. We can worship. We can, we can sing. Like Paul and Silas who found themselves in prison, beaten to a pulp, locked up. And at the midnight hour, what were they doing? God, they were, were worshiping you. Let us be those that when we face struggle, when we face hardship, when we face adversity, we lift our hands and say, God, I don't know what's going on, but I give it to you. I love you. I trust you. God, that our, our faith would be reestablished in you today, our firm foundation. God, we love you. We thank you. And this morning, perhaps you find yourself in a place of saying, I've not ever really, truly given everything over, over to God, yet I've, I've never made that decision to surrender at all. We want to take that step with you today. We, every one of us has a decision to make to step into relationship with Jesus, to choose to follow him with our whole heart. And if that's you this morning, we want to say a prayer with you. And we believe that the, that the Bible says in Romans, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It is a simple recipe. Confessing our need of a Savior and repenting of those places that we've fallen short of God's expectation. So this morning, if that's you, we're not going to ask you to raise a hand or charge the stage. Just simply say this prayer and mean it from your heart. And we're going to say this prayer with you today so that we don't embarrass anyone or single anybody out. Can we say this t together, church? Say, Father God, please forgive me. I've sinned and I've made a lot of mistakes. I believe your son, Jesus Christ, came to this earth to show me how to live. And he died and was raised back to life so I could have a relationship with you. I ask you today to come into my heart and to be the Lord of my life. Change the things in me I can't change as I choose to live for you today. In Jesus' name, amen.